passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting here with you on this Wednesday night following Dynamite. What's going on? Um, you tell me. What's happening? Um, Anything? Nothing? I mean, a lot. I, I guess I would. I just don't really know where to start. Is a lot happening? Uh, Sure. Yeah, of course. I mean... I don't know if you've seen the news lately. There's always something going on. Well, there's there's always stuff going on in the news. I guess it just feels like a very, um, I don't know, crazy yet calm time. Does I guess depending on, depending on where you're looking, you know, many things are certainly calmer than usual. But I mean, the world at large is full of activity. I feel it's just all uh, white noise at this point to me. I mean, it can't Nothing, be. Nothing's yeah. registering. I mean, there's so much stuff going on that it might just kind of be a bit of a blur. A blur would be a apt description. I think that that definitely would be the word I would I would use mm-hmm. at the moment. But mm-hmm. uh, how are you? How are you otherwise? I'm doing all right. Yeah, that's good. Doing all right. You? Uh, all right. Okay. Decent. Six. Six. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not you know what bad, I mean? Not good. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I I uh I went wild today. I drove. I went for a drive. I bought a coffee. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, a it's a long it's, drive or no? Not too long. I drove like 10 minutes. I got to this place and these drive-throughs are just rammed with people it's a skill in and of itself of how you have to maneuver because there's people coming from opposite ends and you have to strategically place your car while also not cutting off oncoming traffic you got to leave a laneway which some people are not as courteous about but i i do think about my common driver and then you have the awkwardness where people are coming from two sides and it's like all right it's definitely my turn to go in and yet you're the one inching towards and it's just do we really have to be doing this right now so i'm the type that i just i'm the bigger person and i and i let them go but then you just get taken advantage of why don't you just make your own coffee because i'm the the outing is the purpose not so much the coffee oh gotcha so then the, even this lining up would be 
the purpose. You should enjoy all of it. I, there, there is something to that. I mean, I'm kind of just, you know, observing people in their frantic state. Um, it's interesting to watch. Yeah, it's the journey, not the it's destination. Kind of like you, you see people losing their minds over uh, just drive-throughs. It's like, yeah, well, this is a bit of normalcy, isn't it? People losing their minds over over nothing. That's somewhat comforting in this time. A traffic jam in about like you know a few months from now, I think, would feel oddly comforting. You see that maniac doing donuts in the middle of Young and Dundas Square last night? I did see that, and I saw the cop chase right after him too. Oh my god, this video! Dude's doing like a selfie video of this guy in the back. I presume a guy. It could have been a woman doing donuts in the middle of Young and Dundas. This is one of the craziest intersections under normal circumstances and just flooring it as these guys are around him either uh, recording with their phones, but I I thought he was going to run over these guys. And then it's like a comedy scene because all of a sudden just you hear the sirens and a cop car is right there charging at this person. And it's just the most wild video that i mean easily uh circulatable i mean that was probably the goal so i don't know if it was the driver's goal i'm gonna get caught by the cops and this thing's gonna go viral so what so they were caught well i presume they were caught the cop was right there i mean he had nowhere to go yeah i hope so throw the book at people like that i have zero sympathy I wonder. I wonder how much they are enforcing certain things at this time when they don't necessarily want to be throwing people in jail. I'll tell you uh, what, what what happened to me today. I received a ticket from a red light camera for a right turn on a red that did it was have a legal, sign? Oh. but I did a rolling stop. Oh. So they nabbed me, and I got a ticket for $325. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was brutal. So, I mean, I have zero sympathy for a dude who blatantly pulls into Young and Dundasker doing donuts, endangering people's lives. That's um, insane that you got nabbed for 325 bucks for a rolling right-hand turn on a red. That's yeah. crazy. It's ridiculous. Um, Yeah, anyway. So, yeah, I, you know... Throw that person in jail. Give him, give him life, 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 life plus prison. a day. <laughs> yeah, just to make me feel a bit better. But anyway, anytime something like like this happens, you know, I get a big parking ticket or or, or something like this. It's just like lesson learned. Sure, I'm gonna stop every single time before I make a right turn on a red for five seconds, thirty seconds. Okay, lesson learned. That's fine. I just, I just try to, I'll pay the fine and then just forget about it. Oh, I, I went through a string. I got there was there was a time period. I I had a bunch of parking tickets uh, that were just piling up on me, and I was getting a, a fair number of. I, I've gotten a handful of speeding tickets in in my day. Uh, not any recently though. Not any uh, fines of late. I also drive a whole lot less, so that probably has um, allowed me to avoid tickets. But that's a. That is a pain in the ass. 325 bucks on that. I'd be furious. I would under normal circumstance, you know what? You should you should appeal it. And they might may, maybe you'll you'll get off because they're going to be so backlogged by people. Maybe maybe you'll catch a break. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I I hear like with these like camera things, they're so precise. They like mark your t- your speed and everything that it's just it's probably not worth it. Um, I mean, the whole system's bogged down enough as it is. It's just like, what and why? Why would I prolong my anguish any longer? Right? Like I I usually again in these situations, I just like grit my teeth, pay it, and I try not to think about it again because the longer it stays, the longer it'll bother me. I would always pay it, but I I, I fought mine once. And that was that that left hand turn at our, our old workplace that I was oh that we all saw from the the window of our office yeah that yeah. all of you guys fucking recorded or something <laughs> uh, the problem I get I get to this intersection and there's no left turn lane between four and six p.m. and I'm in and it's in between four and six p.m. However, I get an advance green, so I go and I get pulled over. Said, hey, I had an advance green. He said, well, it's it's between four and six. I'm like, you know what? That's that's two contradictory messages. And I was in the middle of traffic and I had to make a split second decision and I made one and I just followed what my eyes were seeing and what your city owned light was instructing me to do. And I fought this and I got it greatly reduced. I didn't get off scot-free, but did did you actually have to go into court or was it just a plea? Hell like yeah. That? No, I went I went to court and, th- and this guy showed up. Yeah, you that's stu- the you other stood thing. up in front of the judge and everything. Oh, yeah. And you I, presented I, your case. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Good for you. I went. I'm trying to remember what the uh, – this was so long ago. I can't remember all the specific details. The cop, as I recall – because I was hoping the cop just wouldn't show up for court, and this guy did. So so how, what's that process like? Because I've never had to present a case in court. Like, did you have to show evidence? Like, what? What, what did you? Did I'm you trying to, to remember how it worked honor? out. I may, I may have had to present my case and then work it out with the cop or something like that to get some reduced fine. I'm trying to remember. This was like eight or nine years ago. But they um, like you, you stood up to the stand and everything, like all that. I believe so. Okay. All right. Cool. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I'll be going through that trouble. I think all you need is a a leg to stand on. You might not have a leg to stand on with this one. I mean, you're admitting fault. You're here on a, a widely distributed podcast admitting. I definitely, I you- definitely didn't stop. You know, like under the the the. But like, who? How many? You're supposed to. I I I I see how how many people just not do it. Anyway, whatever. I I I accept blame. I accept fault. Uh, but. You know, that particular intersection. That you- You've got some traffic cops sitting in the, like Cody's uh, computer chair like tonight just looking at the camera footage and just looking, sucker. <laughs> you know, your particular instance from that intersection, though, I mean, that is a blatantly confusing trap. And that's why there, was all- there are always cops waiting, you know, to see who falls for it. But, yeah, that, that, that whole thing is, is bullshit, Akil and Dundas. Oh. All you need is an argument. I will exploit the argument to my gain. But all the all you need is for them to leave you an opening. And I had an opening there. This one is less so unless you could uh, – I had a teacher once who ran a red and this guy fought it stating that uh, – like uh, God bless the uh, <laughs> the courage of this guy to go in front and say this. He said, I sneezed. I'm like what do you mean you sneezed? It's like I sneezed as it went red. Have you ever sneezed and kept your eyes open? You can't. Your eyes close, and I couldn't see the light turn. The guy, guy did not get off with this argument, as noble as it was. Like that's a hell, a ten out of ten creativity wise, but uh, did did not help him. Oh, that's too bad. 
you know how much bullshit these judges hear on a daily basis? I would, I would actually enjoy this job for a day. God. For a day. What a waste of resources. Yeah. Well then, um, let let us move on from that. Um, please share us your your ticketing stories out there. Um, We've got the Cafe Hangout. I want to reiterate this. It is going to be on Friday this week, so don't tune in Thursday at the usual time. We will be delaying it a day. Friday, noon Eastern, all patrons can listen in live, and this is so we can go through not just the financials that will be out Thursday, but also uh, discuss the investors call, which is happening Thursday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern time. What is a time that's the most inconvenient for everybody? 5 o'clock, anywhere in the world, that's an inconvenient time. So that's when they are going to uh, take all the questions from uh, shareholders that may be in rush hour traffic going home. God knows what. Um, It's going to be an entertaining call. It's a time that that is great if you don't want the news cycle to pick up too much of what you have to say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm I'm trying to just imagine uh, Vince McMahon here at 5 o'clock. Um, this is probably like, he's probably going to find out tomorrow morning that it's at five o'clock. He probably is not aware of it yet. He's got like a workout scheduled that's in between two steak wraps with ketchup at four and six o'clock each. So he'll probably be in just a fantastic mood at five o'clock. All right. Well, we look forward to it. For all the calm Vince McMahon that we get on these calls, this is the closest we might get to like apoplectic Vince McMahon. Like if he's ever going to snap on some investors asking him, so where was that? Uh, where was that transformative OTT deal, Vince? Stock price share hasn't recovered too badly, has it, from uh, George and Michelle's departure? Anyone replaced them yet? This is going to be the call where he just goes promo mode on them. That's always the hope, but but like these investors never ask they questions do not- that are too difficult at all. They certainly do them with, like, the politeness of, like, being at a dinner party and, uh, is this a new recipe? Uh, it tastes a little, um, different. It's that or they just, like, simply, you know, really aren't or don't care enough really about some of the ins and outs that that you and I might. I'm hoping we get the one who is just, like, the usual, um, great quarter, Vince. (laughs) Great quarter. (laughs) How do you paint this one? How do how do you paint this one in in, in any other? Well, color I mean, than, than uh, the the obvious excuse is just I mean, the world is collapsed right now, and I mean, they just happen to be uh, you know one of one of the many companies that you know are suffering. And in if fact, you I, if you took this pandemic out, if you took this pandemic out, yeah. and they did not complete that OTT deal, their stock price is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel WrestleMania. I think WrestleMania had it gone through as is. I still feel the number was going to be down from last year. I still think this would have been uh, a disappointing uh, quarter. Uh, granted, this is not going to encompass uh, that WrestleMania weekend, but I am curious if they give a number for what Mania was or what the network was the day after Mania, but does not fall into the first quarter. Yeah, yeah. Um, first quarter ends what? April. March 31st. March 31st, yeah. Okay, well, how much can they blame the pandemic on on that? Uh, three weeks. About three weeks. I mean, yeah, we'll see how much they use that as an excuse. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. There, was there a Saudi Arabia show during, during that quarter? There was, right? Yes, yep. We had so, the one in February. So, then, so that, that, that boosts um, things up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I mean, they have already given the indication, like they put out that notice a few weeks ago, adjusting their their guidance for the quarter. Um, that uh, obviously, with the the worldwide pandemic, that that is going to be off. So. I mean, there there's a certain cushion because of the the pandemic, but more so just questions about um, all the uncertainty that this this brings about. It's okay, we understand the state of this past quarter, this current quarter, uh, but how how much into the future are we looking at uh, absorbing the ramifications? And that's not really a question you can answer, but I would certainly be curious about. Vince, what are the status of – are these TV deals, not just domestically, internationally, are they locked in place regardless? What are – what is that situation? Um, this ESPN deal that you just did, was there – what was the value of that? Um, where does the network stand? Because our last call, it seemed like you were very much pivoting away from this this formula that you have been selling us from the beginning in 2014. What's the status of that? There are plenty of questions to be asked. I hope that 40% of them are asked. I imagine like, you know, with everything changing so much, I think I think he he will rely on that to, you know, basically throw all expectations out the window and just basically, you know, tell everybody to reset course. I mean, hey, we were going to do this, but because of everything that's occurred, we have to really shift gears. And um, you know how these go. I mean, they're typically just ways for... Um, I, they're just filled with excuses and maybe some grand, you know, um, I, I don't know, um, idea, uh, to, to get people excited about the future that may or may not occur. Um, so I definitely have your bullshit filter on, but you know, that, that in itself is interesting to study and dissect. Okay. Uh, give me a higher or lower, uh, on the number of times the XFL is brought up at all from anyone on this call. If I peg the number at two references to the XFL, higher or mm. lower? Well, I was, I was probably going to say just maybe that, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to say maybe three. So I'll go over. Sure. That will not be brought up by the WWE side. I think that will be yeah. shareholders bringing it up because I think uh, WWE does not have um, a duty to bring that up, but I think that certainly should be raised it's just a question does the xfl get lost under other more pressing things and conversely as we're just listing off all these potential lightning rods to be brought up in this call does the wwe have something that will be a distraction that they can uh, pull out much like that that ott deal that vince dangled in front of them on the last call do they have something like that up their sleeves that can alleviate attention and all of a sudden it's uh we'll spend 30 minutes uh trying to get more information about this said topic we shall see you know i'm thinking about it right now and i feel like maybe maybe somebody will bring it up once and then they'll be like we have nothing to do with that um you know please please don't ask again so I, I actually think that it'll just be one instance. Well, we do know that when the AAF approached them, they were offered $50 million just to use the XFL name. And that is a fact? That, that, was, that, that was a fact. And, right. then, and then that apparently you know, led to Vince going with this, this idea of resurrecting the XFL, but that was... You know, a potentially, you know, you look in hindsight, I mean, that would have been a pretty easy 50 million to cash. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, well, who, who would have predicted things to turn out the way they did? All right. Well, that should be, uh, should be a, uh, should be a newsworthy call to say the least, but let's look at some other, uh, news and notes coming out of, uh, the past day or so. Raw continued, uh, to find a new low this year, 1,842,000 viewers down 4%. And this tied the December 23rd show last year. So tied for second lowest in modern history. We still have Christmas Eve of 2000 and, uh, 2018 that remains the lowest raw episode uh, in modern history. But uh, we're inching. We're about a... Less than a hundred thousand viewers away from hitting that figure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, um, does anything really surprise you? No, it's it's more so just a um, question of how, how low can they go? Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it could, they could go lower. They, I think they certainly can go lower um, with with the way things are going at, at this point. Some other ratings notes. Uh, we had Dark Side of the Ring on Tuesday night. Have you had a chance to see the Dino Bravo episode or not yet? I watched it today. I uh, did 200 and what is the exact number here? They did 221,000 viewers. So this was really in line with the Brawl for All and New Jack episode up from last week's uh, Jimmy Snuka episode. But uh, none of these kind of in the uh, the Chris Benoit level uh, of that first one but um we'll talk about this more on friday but i found this to be a really interesting episode and very heavy on i mean this was a true crime story much more than a wrestling story and leaning heavily on a lot of quebec-based crime reporters that was um to me to be a smart way to go about um breaking down the story which is um uh, another one where it's 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 a script for a movie absolutely yeah, um, this one I, I certainly knew uh, far fewer details about than some of the others. And so for me, it was a, a real discovery just kind of going through a lot of these really, uh, really sad and disturbing details. And I understand you'll be speaking to Pat LaProd. Yeah, Pat LaProd we will have on the site on Thursday evening. He's going to be chatting uh, both about uh, his new book on Andre the Giant as well as his involvement here. He was he was featured on the documentary and heavily involved too in the he did the French interviews and uh was a huge part of this episode. So we'll we'll chat with Pat about the process of uh, putting this episode together and this was originally supposed to be part of the first season, but then they got the episode count uh, cut down. So in turn, uh, this ended up getting moved to the second season. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, WWE on Tuesday night on FS1, they had uh, four hours of content. They had um, a best of Becky Lynch matches at 7 o'clock. Uh, that did not rank among the top 150 cable programs. Then a Ronda Rousey uh, 24 at 8 p.m. That did 214,000. Best of Charlotte matches that did 299,000 viewers. Then a uh, Best of Becky Lynch uh, series at 10 o'clock, followed by Backstage, uh, which did not rank either. But that, so they uh, aired the Best of Becky Lynch twice? Sorry. it was One was a 24 on Becky Lynch. One was a Best Becky Lynch matches, something like that. Okay. Yeah, so... That, that's what was on there. But uh, it was only the, the two on Rousey and Charlotte that uh, rank that we have numbers on. So that's uh, just following that, that big Tuesday night block that FS1 has been promoting for all this time. 
Oliver Luck is suing Vince McMahon for wrongful termination. Oliver Luck was the uh, CEO of the XFL and apparently found out the day before that he was being let go and in turn is filing for unspecified damages. And we'll see if this one ultimately ends up going to court. But we know that Jerry McDivitt is involved because he put out a comment responding uh, to this. Um, but yeah, um, Oliver Luck had signed an enormous deal. This His contract was worth $20 million uh, to – sorry, not as CEO, but as a commissioner of the XFL. So you know he would be one of the parties that uh, very much so is probably looking at that $20 million and realizing I am probably not going to see all of that $20 million unless there is a lawsuit filed. So I more so look at this that if this goes – uh, the distance. This could be a case that we learn a whole lot more about the XFL um, through the discovery process. If Oliver Luck ends up seeing this thing through, and this thing actually uh, goes to court down the road at some point, but you know, just based on that creditors list way, I mean, there could certainly be a, a lot of aggrieved parties that might be going the legal route against the XFL. What a mess! Um, Total mess. Just kind of add this on the checklist of like you know Vince McMahon's crazy. April, um, and more to come. Sounds like could be it could be quite the mood on on Thursday. We'll find out. And uh, last thing here, man, has this been just an awful week when it comes to uh, people passing away? Uh, we had Travis Scott Bowden, who was a heel manager in the USWA. He was like involved like at a very young age he was about uh 23 years old when he was uh, a manager did the heel turn on on Jerry Lawler and was involved uh throughout the, that territory and also did the uh Kentucky Fried Wrestling website and podcast very funny individual uh he just died the other day at the age of 48 no cause is known yet but obviously very young uh that he passed away uh as well as a former referee with a uh, Again, with the New York State Athletic Commission, Billy Caputo, who was involved in the first WrestleMania as well, um, just as uh, Jack Lotz was, as was Howard Finkel. So some historical people um, that have passed away, and it's just quite the list when you look at um, the number of people that we've run through over the, the past couple of days with Howard Finkel, with Kevin Clark, with Joe Pettisino. Um, unfortunate, just you know, this, this huge wave of, uh, figures in the industry that have passed away, but those are all our news and notes, uh, for the evening. So again, we will be back on Friday with the cafe hangout going through all of, uh, all of the fallout from the, uh, financial call. And then we've got rewind to SmackDown coming out Saturday for post wrestling cafe members and Thursday night, Pat LaProd will be joining us for a lengthy chat. AEW dynamite way. This was, uh, an episode where, by going into it, this felt like a show that I found it to be pretty entertaining in how it was presented tonight, but it really didn't have a whole lot to grab you ahead of time. And it seemed like someone just came up with the idea of going with this Dustin Rhodes retirement tease, and that kind of became the hook for this show was, here's a match we've taped, guys want it, let's add something to it, and that became kind of your your hook for the two hours. Yeah. It felt like a match that was taped as part of this um, tournament that didn't really have too much at stake. And uh, for whatever reason, they decided to put this as the main event. 
didn't have as much sizzle, I think, attached to it. And so it seemed like they just earlier this week decided to shoot this stipulation. Um, didn't do a whole lot for me. I just never bought into it. Number one, because I think it was felt like a really odd place to have a retirement match. Uh, not for a second did I think Dustin Rhodes was going to end his career against Kip Sabian in an empty arena. Um, as <laughs> they tried as, as part of a first round of a TV title tournament. Um, but you know, yes, yeah, sure, uh, points for effort. Chris Jericho is my favorite commentator at the moment. I didn't like him as much this week. No, no, I don't I, know. I don't know if it was the mix or what. He sounded just really dominant to me. Um, I, I, I felt like I, it sounded like they were recorded after the fact this week rather than in person. And I don't, I don't know how that compared to previous, but we only saw them on camera the once I was under the impression they had done all of this in the venue. They could have, I'm, I'm not entirely, but, sure. we, but we only saw them once. It's not like we could, um, we could see them, but, um, I just thought some of his references and like, there was one, I, I just like legit started laughing at some of the references he was pulling out here, um, to me, he's added a lot of life to these shows that otherwise, um, like th- this is all like they do have the tournament, but beyond that, it's you're really just relying on how much you are invested in the AEW product, watching these, you know, this same cast of characters, which mm-hmm. is like a third of the roster week after week, and all of a sudden we're starting to really get to know Justin Law and Pineapple Pete that yes. are becoming regular characters on this show. I, I don't know if, if for me it might have been just an overall kind of like feeling of, of just sameness with this particular set of TV tapings that I believe like this is what like the third week we've we've been watching from. Um, just like the same people ringside, the same look of everything. And, and it just um, it overall felt like this was a show to me that was kind of um, struggled to 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 really kind of build itself together to piece itself together rather than something that you know obviously under normal circumstances would have had the proper amount of care and attention devoted to these two hours by itself um everything right now i i know is being produced under you know less than ideal circumstances and um I think that is to be applauded, but I suppose what if I'm just grading this based on my own entertainment, I really didn't feel it with this episode tonight. What did you think going in tonight? Do you feel that uh, all things being equal, would you have had more interest in watching NXT tonight with what they had promoted? I'm trying to think what they promoted. Well, they were promoting Finn Balor and Velveteen Dream, which they switched right away. I would say the big thing on NXT was Drake Maverick's match. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, Which they they shot this. I, I saw the beginning of NXT. I haven't seen his match yet, but... Um, they shot this this video with him, like on location, talking about how he can't go out this way and he's fighting for his job. I'm watching this and I'm just thinking, like, there's no way that they can let this guy leave at this point. Yeah, he did an interview on The Bump this morning as well, basically, you know, using this as his firing as storyline. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, wrestling is so weird. Especially like, you know, when you have a guy who's technically been released, but yet is still a part of, of this kayfabe tournament now using his, you know, what what we're led to believe to be a real life firing as part of a storyline. Wrestling is so damn weird. I have no idea what's real or what's not. 
but I guess I can tell you uh, that I'm certainly interested in seeing that match. Yeah, I th- just think you watch this. It's like if this guy's leaving, it just makes this company look so cold-hearted. Um, I just, I, I just can't imagine him leaving after watching this video package that they produce for him, and he, he's become the star of this tournament. It's, it's like watching uh, Bill Alfonso in that, uh, in the match with, uh, with Beulah, where he went in knowing he was getting fired, and then just killed himself and end up ended up saving his job well then how are they going to save their seven hundred thousand dollars a month john well come maybe on. they got maybe maybe Paul, to paul's gonna come out and just like drake you're staying with the company but you you and you you're gone <laughs> god so we cody started it. we can't afford it everybody we're breaking the bank here Keep guys drake maverick this this ATV I, I drive out at WrestleMania every year doesn't pay for itself here. I got payments. Cody's in his gamer chair, and um, I, I thought this was the guy. Um, the truth will be revealed. I thought Cody is maybe revealing himself as the mystery man on SmackDown. Similar setup, sure. Do you think at this point it's still Ali, or could they just switch it up and have it be somebody, somebody completely different? Um, I mean they can, they can go with whatever they want, but I mean it's. Like, there's all this guessing going on. Like, am I not wrong in that they've, they're using his symbol? Like, that circle yes. that you'd always see on his hand and that he'd wear on his chest is, like, the symbol for this mystery character. So I'm just kind of surprised that there's so much mystery about it. Like, they're, it's his symbol. It's like, this is, this, it's not a new uh, logo that they're attaching to him. It looks to be the same one. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I mean... Who, who would you rather it be? Like, at least Ali is someone that, I mean, God, they haven't used Ali in, like, months and months. So I, w- I would hope it it's him. I would hope that it's Ali, too. But if I could guess somebody who could play play, play the role instead, I would Dexter say... Loomis. Oh, okay. But yeah, it would kind of fit him. I, <laughs> who was in the main event of NXT tonight, I believe. Well, I was going to say um, uh, Eric Bugenhagen. Wouldn't that be crazy? Yes, that would be crazy. No. Um, no, it Peyton be Royce. Peyton Royce. <laughs> <laughs> Peyton Royce the hacker. That's that would be something new. Um Yeah. She's got her computer screen up there. It's like right click on the iconic. <laughs> this is why I will never ever be allowed to uh come up with anything creatively. Cody goes through all the tournament participants and he starts talking in what I will describe in Cody, where you have to decody it. And he just gets all of his like at times like like the guy's a very good speaker, but sometimes he's one of those that like just um I don't know, it just sounds like maybe maybe you should like you get these words out in front of someone and, and get some some feedback. Cause it's one of those sounds good in your head and he talks about um, wishing people well in their future endeavors. Um, they can they can't be future endeavors unless you plan to endeavor. And talking about critics saying he broke the throne because he's afraid to sit in it. Talking about like potential insecurity has has he become too comfortable? Mentions that for thirty two years wrestling has been on the Turner Networks, which is actually underselling it because really it's starting like nineteen seventy two. If you go back to um, you know, the uh, WTCG days uh, in 72, but nonetheless, 
AEW critics are going to move the goalposts and complacency is an overused word in wrestling. Plenty of there's plenty of will in this tournament and we'll find out who has enough of it. Um, this sounded like a, like a riddle. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to go for more Bruce Wayne. Like this to me felt like he was in the Batcave in front of his monitors narrating to himself. And I think the type of prose that you heard was very similar to, you know, <laughs> what you would see in a thought bubble, uh, you know, from from a, a deep in thought Batman. Okay. Uh, that type of thing. That type of vibe. I mean, I, is, I, is, does that make QT Alfred? Um, or Robin. Who would be Robin? He's not, he's not Robin. Um, You're right. I mean, Robin was MJF. Yes, right. Well, he's still looking for his Robin, perhaps. I, I, I thought it was cool. You know, I thought it was really well written, written well performed, but I, I, it's not certainly not the type of promo that, you know, you would cut in front of an audience um, and have them completely understand all the little, little bits and pieces. Our, our first match was the rematch from Revolution between Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen. Sammy says he's going to expose Darby as a fraud and prove that Evolution was a fluke. And Allen had his own video and says they're more similar than he knows. But Allen stands on his own two feet. Both need the title. And this ends with him on his vehicle, on this like on this ATV, dragging some dude tied to the back of it. Uh, wearing a Sammy mask. Oh, okay. This looked like a real person. It was, yeah. He's done this in the past. Yeah, this was not like a, like some. Oh, it was a human dummy. Being. Yeah, it was a human being that they needed to convey. He did this in his last video. Oh, he and his friends are fucking crazy. We. we oh, is, I I know nothing. that. This is nothing on their scale of craziness. They do this like, I don't know, just for not on camera. I bet. Do you think he is practicing physical distancing when he's not at at work? Well, it seems like the kind of guy that that would put a video up of him and his friends like coughing on each other. (laughs) I, I I have no idea. I, I I would hope. Or do donuts? Yeah, I mean, I would hope not. Sammy Guevara, Darby Allen here in the quarterfinals. Uh, Guevara immediately just dives onto him with this Fosbury flop before the match even begins. Guevara pulls out a ladder that he balances between the apron and the guardrail, places Darby on the ladder, and then climbs to the top. I'm just waiting for Darby to hop off this thing. Nope, he just waits there. Guevara leaps in the air with this frog splash to the ladder, which does not break. And I thought my ribs were bruised after watching this. This looked so awful. It was insane. And this was like the first spot in the (laughs) match. This was before the bell rang. I was like, oh my God. The look on. They they had like the the local wrestlers just there behind the guardrails. And one just looked frightened at what they had just seen. And the ladder does not budge on this uh, splash spot. But my God, did this look painful. I mean, that's what these guys, I mean, these two, these two are like two young guys who believe that they're invincible. And so even for an opening match on an empty arena show, these guys are going to go all out. So afterwards, the bell rings. Guevara gets caught in the uh, Tree of Woe 
and is hanging upside down. Darby takes off his uh, takes off Sammy's boot and attacks the ankle and Guevara is able to fight him off and does the springboard cutter where he's wearing one boot and then he's barefoot with his right foot. Allen comes up with a bloody nose here and he's constantly going for the ankle, going for uh, submissions, and he gets busted in the mouth and is checking on his teeth. This was uh, a very bloody match. And then we go through a second commercial. Allen does a lope, missing Sammy, and just flies through the guardrail. Guevara gets on top, hits a, goes for a 630 splash, and if you watch this, it looked like he came right down onto his right shoulder. But Allen kicks out or grabs the bottom rope, and then Allen leaps off the middle rope, is caught on Guevara's shoulders, and he goes for that flip, like GTS spot, into a knee strike, but it's countered into the Last Supper, and Darby pins him. Um, quite the pace that they had, especially at the end here. And this was a match that both... I would imagine we're sore after this outing. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, very good, very spectacular match. A whole lot was done here. Um, it's the type of match that, like, I think if you're a veteran watching this, you're definitely maybe a little concerned that these guys are doing too much. Um, they're only going to be young for so long. But, man, they they these two, I think, together, they only know how to go this pace. And so it was a match that definitely worked in this setting and probably would have worked in any setting. Uh, but, you know, would have been that much better in front of a crowd. But, man, the type of thing where you just, like, you definitely worry, okay? Seeing, like, uh, them doing, like, a spot on a ladder at the beginning, seeing Darby ram head first with that low pay into the barricade. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, shit, that just, like, at some point these guys are going to have to slow down. But um, for now... They're not. They're not, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, a very physical match. I mean, it... it it was the match of the show, I would say, but I even I that also even that six thirty, John. Like, man, I I think a move that risky should be saved for a finish. You know, I'm with you. I'm with you. And it was like it, like if you watch, like he comes down at a very awkward angle, and I was like, where he was gonna like pop his shoulder out or something, just the way he landed on that as well. But I'm I'm with you that it's, um, you know, you don't want something like that to be forgotten. And I would say in this, um. What are you going to remember? You're going to remember the ladder spot and probably that finishing sequence and going for the ankle. And I don't think you're going to remember the 630 was just um, a moment in time in this match. The match, unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm going to say will probably be forgotten like after this week. You know, the fact that it was an opening match and just didn't really have that, many, that too many stakes attached to it. Um, not to say that you should only save your big stuff for like matches that, that matter. Or maybe you should say that. I don't know. But for an opening match on a, on a show like this, I, I, I do wonder. I do wonder what, what you know, whether or not these guys should be doing this much. Well, you could certainly make the argument that coming off like such a huge buzz for that that match on the pay per view, um, should this be the match that was built around more so than than Dustin and the retirement angle? Seeing the two matches, I would have said said that. Yeah, like this was certainly the superior match. Mm -hmm. I, I would say, and going in, I mean, it kind of shows that here were these guys who had. Uh, an undercard match on this pay-per-view blew it out of the water and then they main event this show like the big rematch i would say it's it's a it's an alternate option you could have had matt hardy is at the compound and brings up the proposition he laid out for christopher jericho for the elite deletion and has not heard a response damascus can detect the fear 
after Jericho spilt his orange juice last week and says he will also welcome Samuel Guevara to come fight Jericho's battle for him and will mash him into a mofongo. What is that? That is a, a Puerto Rican dish. Oh, sounds yes. delicious. He is referring to Chris as La Hole of the Ass and then cuts and transitions to regular Matt Hardy discussing his history with Chris Jericho, how the Young Bucks are close friends, Cody's a friend, and he respects Kenny Omega. They are the pillars of AEW. Jericho wants to see the pillars crumble because then there would be chaos in AEW and he could reign amongst chaos. But Matt is here to protect this platform, which is not designed for the two of them, but rather the future of this industry. And I will beat everyone in the inner circle until I get to Chris Jericho. So... This seemed to take the the challenge that he made and make it more so like Jericho would be at the end of the line and they would start with Sammy Guevara. That's how it kind of came across here. It's how it came across to me too. And, it, it, you know, it does beg the question of, of why Matt Hardy. Well, I mean, at the end of all this, do you anticipate that we will get a Jericho versus Matt Hardy match in, in the Hardy compound? Yes, I think that that is because that was clearly not um, what they were going to. I, I guess when Hart, when Matt initially cut the promo, no, it seemed like they were going towards that immediately, and now it seems like that's something that will be down the road. So, are we going to get a Sammy Guevara Hardy compound well, match? Yeah, and that's what I'm not. Like, I don't want to see Matt go through all the members on the compound. I want one compound match, and that should be the Jericho one. I guess I'm just not even that confident we're going to get that Sammy Guevara Hardy compound thing. Like, from from what I, 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 I you know, what, what I've heard, like, Matt threw that out there, but they didn't even actually have plans to do the Jericho thing. So I don't know what's going on with this one, whether or not they're actually intending on doing a Sammy Guevara match. I know Robbie Hardy has been very outspoken about, like, you know, um, people staying safe. And so would would they would she even welcome a whole crew to come or whatever, you know, Sammy Guevara even, to come and, and shoot something? I don't know. I wonder. Um, well, they're at the point now. They've got to figure out what they're doing on this pay-per-view. So right. to me, that would be where you do this big hardy compound thing is on the pay-per-view. Um and you got to decide now, are we doing this or not? Is Matt in or out? And I completely respect the um, the sentiment of, of Rebby here. I mean, that to me is um, completely uh, a rational uh, response to this. So I, I think that that's, that's fine. But they've got to also figure out where they're going with all of this. And based on, on this, it feels like Matt and Sammy Guevara, and that's, that's not going to be on TV because all the TV is shot up through the pay-per-view. Right, right. You know, uh, as far as the promo goes, I, I I thought this was great. You had your crazy broken Matt Hardy uh, Damascus promo, but then you also ground it with the real Matt Hardy speaking, who you know at this point has almost become as compelling of a pro- promo as Broken Matt. I'm just excited to see Matt Hardy, regular Matt Hardy, talk as I am Broken Matt Hardy these days. So it's it to me the first time in AEW we see him transform between the the two vessels within one of these segments, and I love that he can bounce back and forth. It makes him a lot more interesting. After that segment with Matt, we got more Technique by Taz, breaking down the V-Trigger and the Snapdragon of Kenny Omega, setting up Kenny Omega's match. I really appreciate like the emphasis on Technique. 
Unfortunately for this particular one, there really wasn't a whole lot to break down within these moves. Like Taz's Snapdragon breakdown basically consisted of him saying, he lifts him up in a full Nelson, then he drives him down. I mean, that's really all there is, you know, nothing about like hit movement or like, you know, uh, just, just some of the maybe finer details, I think, you know, worthy of the term breakdown. But um, I guess it's it's just pro wrestling, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's um, See, yeah, I just, to me, I just was, hold it to a Robin Black standard. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like the fact, you know, it's it gives you something for th- this otherwise throwaway match that Kenny Omega was about to have with Alan Angels. Alan Angels, yeah, which would which would be the great debate among this this man's name that Chris Jericho would have with himself. Um, I. <laughs> I, I just thought this was Jericho. Jericho was the star of this match. And maybe you can argue that the commentator should not be the star of a match. But, man, was he entertaining here. He brings up his first time stepping in a ring with Kenny Omega was the Wrestle Kingdom match. And he has no memory if he won or lost this match, uh, which he did lose. He notes Kenny Omega was in Deep South. They didn't use him properly, so he left. And then starts talking about this pumpkin head dipshit. He, call, he says, this is what we call a warm-up match. This is like a comedian stopping by at Yuck Yucks to do five minutes on stage as he then starts putting attention on Alan Eagles and then asks, Was it, is his name Alan Eagles or Alan Angels? I think I've been calling him Al, Alan Eagles. And Angels comes up with some offense, including yanking the ring curtain from under Omega's feet to trip him. Jericho then spots the word <laughs> Ingles written on his gear so this takes jericho to laura ingles wilder of little house on the prairie which then opens up the door for him to make michael landon references which i mean if you're under 40 might not land pardon the pun but i was laughing out loud at this i thought this was just you know fucking hysterical I know who Michael Landon is because I saw like reruns of little house on the prairie when i was young you're very okay. I mean, that that was pretty. I, I think I'm like you and I are maybe the cutoff that are getting uh, don't Michael me, Landon. Don't group me in for that. I have no idea who this this dude. Well, is. I'm saying it's not preposterous. This was this was on TV quite a bit. It in, doesn't in, matter. Like syndication. It, yeah, it's it. Some people found it funny. Okay, well, I guess we know which camp you and I are in. Omega hit the V trigger. Got a two count and then a power bomb, another V trigger to win the match in six minutes and 20 seconds. Afterwards, Kenny Omega was walking around ringside. He pointed at a gentleman in the front row um, asking him what he expects from the financial report tomorrow. And Chris Harrington did not give him an answer. <laughs> it was a fun match. I thought uh, Angels, Ingles, he looked great. But Kenny gave him way too much. Like, I understand the desire especially Kenny Omega's desire to have a good back-and-forth match. But if this Ingles dude isn't going to be pushed to any sort of significant degree, I think there's zero point in giving away so much of your value to him. Like, the next time you book a long match between Kenny and Marco Stun or a Jungle Boy, them kicking out of a V-trigger isn't going to mean shit anymore because you had Alan Ingles here, like, basically do that. You save that shit for guys who actually matter, and this was a guy who didn't matter. Kenny Omega should have just, like, basically squashed this guy. Um, I don't know if there was a fear of too many squashes being on the show or Kenny just wanted to like have a long match, but some guys you just, I, I, I was not a fan of this. 
I, I'm with you. I think that, you know, when you are doing these squash matches, I think it's these, a lot of these guys have this mentality of, of giving. Um, that's not the purpose of this match. The purpose of this match is to enhance you. And you can certainly, I think, give them something, but you don't want to make this competitive because then it's just a match with a, an unknown and a star and it's it's stop serving its purpose. There's a reason we don't know who this guy is because this is to shine a spotlight on the star. Um, so, I, yeah, I would even totally accept it if it was like Kenny Omega versus like a Jimmy Havoc or something. But like the gulf between a Kenny Omega who's supposed to be like the best wrestler in the world and this guy who probably wrestles out of like Cody's gym, like, is so great that I I, I don't even think he should have been kicking out of the V trigger. Man, you you just would have been um, drooling over like the Road Warriors and the Steiners and Doctor Death, just murdering guys on TV, throwing them from one side of the ring to the other. Um, I mean, if that's what the situation calls for. Hmm. Uh, did you happen to see this this um, this quote from uh, Kenny Omega about the his frustrations with the women's division? No. What do you say? So this was a um, – it was a feature that Jonathan Snowden did at Bleacher Report on Britt Baker. But he also spoke to Kenny Omega um, about the piece with, with Britt Baker. And when it comes to the women's division and Kenny's involvement, uh, he said, It's the most frustrating and rewarding feeling at the same time. We have a vision for this women's division that I always wanted to have at the forefront. It's like, okay, Kenny, you've got the reins. Do what you can with five minutes of TV time. Wait a minute. We've got this huge, expansive roster. You have people chomping at the bit, raring to go. How am I going to introduce all these people with five minutes? How am I going to show just what makes them special? Britt Baker, if you go based on her reactions, is probably the top heel in the whole company. They are taking these little, small, minuscule opportunities that we are awarded, and these women are hitting home runs. They succeeded with their one-minute, two-minute segments, so they get their five minutes. And that's going to grow to six, seven, eight, and nine, and they're going to have their own show one day. So what, what were his frustrations? I think that he is... I think he's frustrated at the fact that they've got all of this female talent, but they're not they're they're not getting the television time to get them over. I see. Okay. Um interesting. Yeah. Um do you agree with that? Uh not completely. I think that certainly like there are instances you can certainly see where the women I would say Britt Baker is getting a, a pretty good amount of television time at the moment. And this current run is kind of out the window because we don't have the whole roster competing for minutes on these shows. It's kind of who is there. I mean, Britt being part of these tapings, she's going to be relied on uh, more heavily because it's it's a smaller roster. Um, I would not I would not present the case that she is the top heel in the company right now. But I think she's a very effective heel in her role. Um there is some of that, like where, you know, we will see a Yuka Sakazaki and then it's it's dropped. And that was before they went to these dark match settings as well that, you know, some momentum is found and then you rein it back. And that, again, they are there are women there that are a victim of the numbers game of how many people they have. But is that due to lack of TV time or just improper allocation of that TV time? Because they've had plenty of time, I would say, to feature a lot of these acts, but... 
to me, one of the like forget everything that that's taken place since the pandemic. I think you can you know throw throw all that stuff out the window. But like even prior to that, with the with the Riho Championship run, how many times did we actually see Riho on TV? How many interviews did we actually get to see of Riho? How many times would they build up a challenger to give them some momentum, be it a B, B Priestley or a Chris Statlander, or uh, you know up until this you know pre- before this this whole empty arena setting, like somebody like a Hikaru Shida, where they would just like get a number of wins and then you just kind of basically cut them off and then replace them with somebody new, another flavor of the month. Um, to me, like there are a lot more like bigger issues I think with the women's division than simply not having enough TV time because you just simply have characters that aren't over yet, you know. Um, I think Britt Baker right now, uh, I think even Nyla Rose up before she, she, you know, she was unable to, you know, attend these tapings, I guess like they were going, getting somewhere with, with all that. But part of that, I, I don't think it's simply a matter of not having TV time. I mean, the, the, like the, the nightmare collective, that thing got a fair amount of time and it just, it was not good. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was led by Brandy, and that had the Chris Statlander involvement as well, um, and um, uh, the bald woman as well. Well, uh, Mel. Mel. Mel, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's to me the the women's division. Like Britt Baker, to me is is clicking uh, uh, very well now. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a whole, this division to me, it's um, there's certainly a lot more depth in the NXT women's division. And I would say, like watching Rebellion on Tuesday night. I I thought like the best match on that show was was Kylie Ray and and Kira Hogan like they Kylie Ray is a real great talent and I, I think that's a that's a tremendous get for Impact getting Kylie Ray. How'd you like the show overall? Of Rebellion, I I liked the show. It was um, I thought it took some time to get going. Uh, it's still the empty arena setting, but. I feel like my brain is just kind of adapted to that now that I'm less critical of the of the setting. Um, I would say the the match that I that match was good. The women's match, uh, Willie Mack winning the X division title from Ace Austin, it was good. And then the final match was Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan, which was kind of like a street fight. And then they went to the back, and it became like you you got your music and. It wasn't over the top like you would expect maybe from an Impact production to kind of do their version. But I'd say it was a good show, but I wouldn't say it would, you know, drop what you're doing and go watch it. So they're breaking it up over two weeks. But it was um, – you felt it after about two hours. I would say this was a good maybe hour to 90-minute show stretched to two. Okay, gotcha. And Davey's got a report on the website right now. Yeah, he's got a, a full rundown of the show if you want to go uh, check that out. Back to Impact. That was our unofficial intermission of the show um, because everyone went to go uh, make a Mofongo. Scorpio Sky feature. Isn't um, that the thing with the plantains? I've never had a Mofongo, so I, I can't speak. a food show about, about that. Uh, this was a tape feature on Scorpio Sky, just kind of a personality profile. And I think these, um, to me, are really effective that AEW does a very good job of and maybe could do more of these. He doesn't remember how he discovered wrestling, but um, we just kind of fast forward to like his love of wrestling, getting involved. And then he thought his career was going to be over when his back was a mess and he found out he had a collapse of his L2 and L3 uh, discs and was unlikely to wrestle again and avoided surgery 
and just kind of rehabbed it on his own and woke up and the back pain started to go away. And then he went to his mother's gravesite, asked for a sign if he should continue in wrestling. And right after that, uh, got a call and we fast forward to him joining SCU at the end of 2017. And this is kind of positioned as his last chance to make it in professional wrestling and we're left with a to be continued. So they're kind of doing what they're doing with Jeff Hardy on SmackDown, like a multi-part um, per- personality profile on a-, a featured star. I love the fact that they decided to t- to focus on Scorpio Sky, who really hasn't had that level of you know singles attention since that challenge Jericho to match. Jericho, like Which is way a while back, ago, you know, mm-hmm. he hasn't really had anything since. So I don't know if this is a sign of bigger things to come. I guess you know who knows whether or not he'll even be able to wrestle anytime soon uh, being out there. But um, I, I like the fact that they're at least singling him out to, to, to feature, you know, these video packages are, are of varying levels of quality. And that's clearly because they're shot by like various types of people, it, it, like from all parts of like the country and, and the world even. So they all look a little bit different. Some of them are a lot more polished than others, but um, ultimately the, the hope is that they become as authentic to the guy's messages as possible. Um, and, you know, really uh, at this point, they're kind of stuck because they can't really shoot too much with everybody in the same place anyway. So it, it's nice to be able to continue to see them. But, but as long as you, have to, I think, have the expectation that they're not all going to be similar. Right. Uh, they replayed the clip from the road to of Dustin telling Cody he's going to retire if he can't beat Kip Sabian. They aired some highlights of being the Elite 200 and then a promo for Double or Nothing, uh, May 23rd on pay-per-view, but no location announced. Jimmy Havoc versus Orange Cassidy in Cassidy's first singles match on Dynamite. The best friends are in the corner of Cassidy and Havoc jumps him at the bell and starts choking him with his jean jacket and he just beats the hell out of Cassidy for like six minutes. Um, Jericho says he's beating Orange Cassidy to a pulp. And it's all Jimmy Havoc. Um, Cassidy finally fights back, hits a spinning DDT and this lazy splash where Jericho compares him to the California hippie Mike Boyette. Penelope Ford gets on the apron. You know who that is too? Yeah, this was uh, Mike Boyette was uh, a wrestler that – I mean, he he like came up. He was very tight with uh, Michael Hayes, but th- this is a pretty uh, pretty damn obscure reference. Damn, I will dude. I will totally nothing gets past you. Um, I was just uh, shocked to hear this name uh, on national television in 2020. Penelope Ford gets on the apron, and Chuck Taylor, uh, whose birthday was today, but they probably didn't know this was going to be airing on his birthday, uh, pulls Taylor uh, pulls Ford into the splits. And then Sabian dives over Penelope onto Taylor and Trent on the floor. Ford then comes off the top, missing Ford. Sorry, missing uh, missing uh, Sabian, Cassidy. Cassidy Havoc. Oh, yeah, missing Cassidy. And he then... was go- she was going for the Rana off yes, the top yes. to Cassidy and missed. And this allows Cassidy to use this cradle to cover Jimmy Havoc in nine minutes and four seconds, and a post match beatdown by Jimmy Havoc. Um, this certainly was not the pack match from the pay-per-view. No, it wasn't. I mean, honestly, I was a little surprised that they would even book this because I think after the pack match, they kind of established Orange Cassidy as this like feature attraction that you could justify saving for a pay-per-view. So the fact that we just kind of got this singles match from out of nowhere between Orange Cassidy and Jimmy Havoc, 
I was a little taken aback by it. And then seeing the end result, I I really didn't think it was necessary because I think Orange Cassidy's biggest threat is overexposure. And therefore, I think every single singles match that the guy has needs to feel special. This ended up being, I thought, a pretty compelling match simply because I think Orange Cassidy, like one of the, you know, this isn't really talked about too much, but I think one of his talents is just being able to take a great beating. Like the guy's able to just like ragdoll and, you know, look great doing it. But it was, I would say by the end, far from special because I think the way they booked Orange Cassidy was they basically made him the one, two, three kid here, you know, like a guy who takes a big beating, but then sneaks by with like a fluke pinfall. But the character that they've established thus far in that, especially in that match with Pac, is much more than that. Like, in the Pac match, he was basically a guy who is shown to be, like, a secret weapon. Somebody who, when he takes himself seriously, is a fucking badass and can beat anybody. Now he's just, in this match, a guy who just kind of squeezes a win out against a low-level undercard guy, like a Jimmy Havoc. And, of course, you know, without a real crowd there, all the spots aren't really, you know, that great or that memorable. Um, I, I would say it just it really reduces the appeal of Orange Cassidy in this empty setting, which I understand. I, I do believe like they looked at it that, listen, this show on paper, uh, let, let's say like they were piecing this together a week ago. It's not like they announced this Dustin stipulation on TV last week. It's they laid this out and you could argue Orange Cassidy wrestling on TV was the biggest hook they've got for this week. So I can see why they sacrificed um, that to just have something for this week and then coming up with the Dustin idea. But yeah, it's it to me was tough without having a crowd for orange Cassidy and yeah, this guy can sell, but man with Jimmy Havoc on offense for six minutes, it would, that was a long stretch and I, I can't say that this really um, kept my interest. You know, you're waiting and waiting and waiting for that big comeback. And perhaps it was a combination of not having a real crowd there to re- respond to it. Plus, I would just say also the fact that, I mean, you didn't, it didn't feel like a proper Orange Cassidy comeback. Um, either way, I, I suppose. Uh, even though if, like, you did have a crowd, like, the action just didn't feel, like, that satisfying. Uh, it, 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 it didn't feel like it lived up to, I think, previous um, performances. Orange Cassidy in an empty arena is kind of like having Dwayne Johnson cut a promo in an empty arena. Like, it's fine, but it, you're losing so much um, mm-hmm. with the crowd. Yeah. MJF did a promo outside of his rat's house in Cape Cod. So <laughs> this is Max's rat's house. Um, he said, we are facing a pandemic, and it is depressing times because MJF has not wrestled on Dynamite recently, and he hasn't been there. As they zoom out and reveal him in a sling with his hand wrapped, he has a hangnail. And it became life-threatening, but he will be back. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I Again, mean, this, this probably sounded great in his head. I, I don't know in execution how well this came off. You know, these are really tough because I, I guess, you know, you're at the point now where we haven't seen guys like MJF for like weeks. And you're trying to come up with any excuse for them to just get on TV to, re- to remind people of, of who they are. Um, and, and these are kind of tough promos to cut cause they have, he doesn't have a match. Like he's got no program and he's in the midst of, it's just like, here I am type of promo. Um, I, it, it was fine, but like, it didn't really kind of, um, it didn't really make you really feel anything beyond that. I realize it's very windy in Cape Cod right now. Yeah. It's windy here too. 
Yeah, that's why we're doing the show inside, not outside. Be very oh, distracting yes. to hear that to wind. The, to the sound, yeah. Wardlow murdered Lee Johnson. He just threw him all over the place. Johnson got in a few punches, but uh, Wardlow knew that Way was watching here, so he just cut him off. Knee strike as he yanked him off the turnbuckle and hit the, the F-10, which uh, that was not identified here, but it's the name I'm going with in 237. F-10, yes. Excalibur did call it that in the last, uh, the last uh, time he killed someone. I believe he did, yes. You know, exactly the type of thing it needs to be. I mean, you have Wardlow against a jobber. Look, let the jobber make you look good. This is like good, impressive squash. Then we had a Dark Order skit where Preston Vance, a failed football star, is resorting to the Dark Order by signing up on the website. And in his, in his note to the Dark Order said he had the whole world in his hands. Um, this, uh, Preston Vance is, uh, a QT Marshall student who has been on dark a couple of times. Um, if you have been watching that Brody Lee then answers. So, uh, unbelievable, um, response level that Brody Lee instantly has a meeting with this guy. He asks how tall he is and he says he's six, two and two forty, and he played college football and says, uh, Brody Lee says, a lot of people didn't work for their success here in AEW, and this guy is a hard worker. He wants to offer him success and power and strength in numbers. We are the lions of AEW. We feed on the prey, and he hands him a mask, telling him he is home now. So Preston Vance, the latest member of the Dark Order. It's pretty easy to get into this Dark Order we found, right? Just find the website and um, write out a compelling uh, lyric to a past gimmicks character. And you just get flown in right away? I guess he was in town anyway. He he trains like QT Marshalls. How convenient. Yes. Um, yeah, teasing a new debut. You know, is this an actual push or, or can you see this as just, is this just another guy in a mask? Um, I think they're going to drop the first name um, and maybe he'll become a Cranky Vance. <laughs> cranky Vance. Sure. It, I mean, these continue to kind of range between like sometimes they're funny, you know, sometimes they're they're just uh, they're even good, but sometimes they're just like low budget corny, but not in a way that is endearing like you know BTE or like Matt Hardy might be like it, it it's it's it it's it's the worst when it tries to take itself too seriously, um, so I don't know. The Dark Order is very much a work in progress. Um, I, I think it's very hard when you have just the, the underlings that have no names or their numbers and they're just kind of fall guys and just kind of take up space. This is really going to come down to Brody Lee excelling in this role as leader. And I think it's, uh, it's too early to say if this is going to ultimately work or not for him. Justin Law, the returning Justin Law, took on Brody Lee, and we had uh, Marco Stunt hanging out with Pineapple Pete behind the guardrail, and Brody Lee beat down on his chest, super kick, uh, spinning side slam, and then the discus lariat to win the match. In a minute 58, Jericho compared him to Stan Hansen, winning just with a lariat, and Lee walks up to Marco, and they're going to have a match next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'll be fun. Uh, yes, um, poor Marco. I think he his uh, his lot in this company is is somewhat determined. Probably, 
Yeah. Fly. fly. Unless he grows like three feet. Like Scottie Pippen in college. Oh. Yeah. Grew like five inches over the course of a summer in college. I caught up with that too, actually, this week. Oh, did you? Yes. It's okay, fantastic. Well, maybe, okay. Well, maybe we'll take a detour uh, after feedback. Uh, the best friends in Cassidy were interviewed. Trent wants to fight Ford, but legally cannot, that being Penelope Ford. So instead, they want to face Sabian and Havoc. And Orange announces that's the end of the interview. And they walk off. And next week, it's going to be a no DQ, no countout match with the best friends against Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc. No countout, no DQ. Cool. Yep. As well, both semifinals of the TNT tournament are next week. That takes us to the next installment of the Bubbly Bunch. Guevara is all down because Jake Hager lost last week. Hager says sadness is for ugly people. And the group decides to do a flim flam together where the winner will obtain hand sanitizer from Chris Jericho somehow. Um, Sammy outdoes everybody and Jericho gets pissed off thinking that Sammy's showing off. Flim Flam, by the way, is is their version of TikTok. Yeah, they did the they had like the TikTok font, but changed it to Flim Flam. Yeah, which I'm sure they've copyrighted already. Flim Flam. Uh, Robin Black would like to have a word. Ooh, Bink. That too. Uh, how did uh, did you were you amused by this segment? Um, who who had the best stream? Because Santana had the worst. Definitely. Santana needed to upgrade his camera badly or his Wi-Fi or something. <laughs> Which uh, I'm not going to throw stones. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think who had the best quality picture. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to remember. I thought, I thought Jericho's was, was pretty – like they, it seemed like he had a film crew there. I, I wonder. I don't know. Yeah, it was cute. Yeah. If you like these guys, you'll like this. Uh, they showed some John Moxley highlights. He's going to speak next week. And then we had comments from Dustin Rhodes, how he can cement his legacy even further, winning this title. And Kip Sabian saying, he's not even in his prime yet. This will fast track him. This is my moment. And that was our main event. We had Penelope Ford in Sabian's corner, Brandy out in Dustin's corner. Rhodes' knee gives out on an Irish whip, so Sabian attacks the knee. Rhodes fights back. He hits a bulldog. And Jericho's pointing out how all of Dustin's offense puts a strain on the knee. Uh, he hit the power slam. Sabian kicks out. Then Sabian leaps into the ring, off the middle rope, into a DDT, getting a two count. Ford and Brandy end up in the ring. This ends with Ford taking a spear, and both women uh, leave the ring, going to the floor. Sabian is staring down at the women as Dustin just runs the ropes and hits the destroyer for the victory. Dustin's career extends. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I, again, I applaud them for like trying to cram that stipulation in there, but like the match did just did not feel like it had that vibe at all. Like there's just I I don't think anybody really bought it. I don't think the announcers even like had a hope of trying to to sell and convey it. And the match itself wasn't really wrestled like it was that type of desperation type of match with the guy's career on the line. So for for me, it, it just ended up being a match. It kind of felt like, listen, I, I do give them credit for just trying to find a hook for this show. And that's what you try and do. Like, like let's let's add something beyond this match. Because, like, let's look. Dustin Rhodes and Kip Sabian just in the tournament. It's a pretty 
pretty bland match to just put out there, um, especially if it's going to headline the show. Um, I think you'd have a real headline the show. Well, maybe they they felt that that was the option that they had to headline. I mean, it was either going to be this or Guevara and Darby, which again, as we said, that that could have been your your option as well. But I guess they figured that uh, Dustin in in a big match, or at least making this retirement, makes it more important than Guevara and Darby. But it was a, it was a pretty average match. I can't say too much about it. Um, sort of just there, and now this leads to Dustin Rhodes and Lance Archer. Where is his is his career on the line throughout this whole tournament? Um, we, or was this see. it? Did he have his brush with his career ending and realize you know what? <laughs> Who who wants to be unemployed during this pandemic? I'm not putting my career on the line ever again. Well, at some point, you you would think that he would have to lose, but um, yeah, I don't know. Who knows where they're going to go? So we've got next week, Dustin against Lance Archer and Cody against Darby Allen. Cody versus Darby Allen, yeah, that 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 should be great. Uh, even Lance Archer versus Dustin Rhodes, I'm actually looking forward to that. I, I think you like legitimately have like several like. Different combinations. There's the Cody and Archer program that they've been building towards. There's uh, there's Dustin and Cody, which can be teased that I don't think I would give away here. But if this is going to be a double or nothing and you need something big, that's something you can go to one year removed from their last match. And even for this title program, like I don't throw out Archer and Darby as uh, a potential. Like, I, I think you have different options you can play. I think we can assume that it's not going to be Darby and Dustin in the finals. That's one I think we can rule out. Yeah, yeah. My money's still on Cody versus Lance Archer. I think that that's the one that probably has the most uh, sense built into it. I mean, Cody sort of is the guy overseeing the entire thing on his Batcave uh, camera or uh, monitors. And, and so I, I see him at the end, and I see him versus Lance Archer as being a pretty big match that you can even headline double or nothing with so that was aew dynamite um yeah i wasn't I, I, sorry go ahead i was just gonna say like i was i was entertained throughout this but the, it was definitely more of a missable show that than most episodes of, of dynamite i i would say uh, for me personally like jericho to me is like a real valuable portion of dynamite during this period that is keeping you know a major star on the show that i think is pretty entertaining in the role but i don't know if commentary is going to um uh reserve two hours of your viewing every wednesday night either i think that i I do feel like both nxt and dynamite they're going to be in their usual viewership level that we've been seeing these past few weeks i don't see any increase in these numbers yeah yeah um I, i i don't really either for for this particular episode um I, I, I just, you know, I didn't really like this edition of Dynamite because I don't think any of the matches really clicked with me. I thought Sammy versus Darby was great. I think it would have been a better way to close the show. Um, but, like, I wasn't a fan of Kenny going 50-50 with some jobber. I was underwhelmed with the Cassidy match. You know, a couple squash matches that I think are fine, but, um, yeah, they were fine. They were totally fine. Um, but beyond that... A weaker Dynamite. In my opinion. All right, well, let's see if everyone is going to disagree or agree on the forum. This got an 8 out of 10. So 
Kenny writes, I really enjoyed the show tonight. The main event was a real pleasant surprise. Probably the best Kip Sabian match I've ever seen. I also love Sammy and Darby. Week after week, Sammy continues to steal the show. It's unfortunate that this match couldn't take place in front of a crowd because I can't think of two guys I would rather see wrestle in 2020. Only stuff I didn't like on the show was Matt Hardy and the Dark Order. I think the final deletion had its time, but the gimmick is already played out, and I never need to hear them say whole of ass ever again. Brody Lee looked awesome in his match. So awesome that you really start to wonder why he wastes his time with losers like Uno and Grayson. I just don't get it. Eight out of ten. Nick from Lansing says, I thought tonight delivered just about everything you could ask for. I like Kenny letting an unknown get a bit of shine. I thought the Dark Order and Brody Lee continued to explore the idea of what draws people into a cult. And for me, the main event delivered. Tony and Jericho are one of the most entertaining parts of the show as they build up stars and a hint at potential feuds down the road. Doug from Derbyshire in the UK. Another decent, given the circumstances, episode tonight. The matches were all... (laughs) I'm just picturing like a a sign. Decent, given the circumstances. Uh, The matches were all enjoyable, and Jericho and Tony continued to entertain on commentary. The video packages continue to be their usual high quality, with Matt Hardy, Sammy Guevara, and Cody all coming off strong in their performances. I'm finding Dynamite to seem a far longer... to seem a far longer show and less engaging in the current setting, however, and despite the small crowd of workers adding a lot to the atmosphere i keep finding my attention wandering which is a shame because the in-ring work is still quality i'm very glad that AEW has such a competent team of video production creatives throughout their ranks as they still keep me interested but like everyone else i'm really finding the empty arena shows fatiguing i'm very grateful to new japan for sparing us from this i don't know how you guys get through wwe programming each week but you have my thanks and sympathies again the show itself was all good enough so i give it a seven it's just my enthusiasm which is dipping which i i think is evident across the board with um, Doug representing a lot of people way that are I mean all shows all wrestling shows are down at the moment and I think that should we uh, should we, as one of the callers brought up last week if regular sports uh, get back to normal I think we're going to see that pattern um, with sports unless there's some uh, different in uh, in entertainment value in watching actual sports versus wrestling that this idea that there's this giant hunger for sports at the moment. Um, I, th- I think people will kind of settle into this, that a lot of people are just kind of turned off by this after the initial novelty wears thin after a week. We shall see. I mean, I, I still contend that, you know, I think like a sport like basketball and the NBA might be a little bit different, might be actually very different from, I think what professional wrestling might, you know, um, like what ex- what your expectations might be for professional wrestling uh it's 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 bigger in stature like people i still think will care about something like you know the world series or like you know the nba finals or something like that um but will people like get sick of it enough that they'll they'll stop watching i wonder it, it's very possible We go to Raymond, finally, from Sacramento, California, who has a few points for tonight. I can't be the only one that thought that the visual of Mr. Brody Lee in the purple lit room is reminiscent of the recently reenacted Vince McMahon scenes from Dark Side of the Ring. I think that's stretching. I think you're the only one. Chris Jericho on commentary is a revelation. He clearly knows a lot about the scenes, about the business, and has experienced a bunch. But who would have thought that he would be great on commentary that consistently? It shouldn't need to be said, but I'm going to give AEW credit for not acting like everything in the world is currently normal. Though they haven't said COVID-19 or coronavirus, they haven't been shy about mentioning that shows are occurring every during a time of empty arenas. The videos everyone has been tested 
has been tasked with producing for air haven't been overt, but they're not selling a lie about why the New York people aren't around. An 8 out of 10 show. That was another point on on Impact was they... I mean, they flat out had Eddie Edwards on there saying, I would love to be there, but I have my family to think about, and I I can't be there at, at this time either. And they... um. Tessa Blanchard also tweeted out a message today or last night why she wasn't on the show. Um, so, I mean, in impact, I mean, again, they're not they're not uh, making a huge deal about it, but they're not they're not running from it either. Oh, that's great. That's really refreshing. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for your feedback. I, I omitted uh, one big news story way. A WWE champion has been traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and. <laughs> Uh, made to me his full transition by violating his retirement stipulation. Rob Gronkowski has been traded along with a seventh round pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a fourth round pick. And they also get a championship belt. And I will say this, uh, I, I, I do not follow football new, news uh, heavily, but in the articles I read, like, all these places were listing him as the 24-7 champion. It was ridiculous. I thought he lost it. He won it back. Oh, he did Gronkowski? the dive. He did the dive and then... Yeah, and then he took off with the title. He never right, lost okay. it. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Congratulations. Huge. So now how... If he's still an active wrestler, how will he continue his wrestling training? I don't think that the future is going to be wrestling. He's going back to football. But he signed with the WWE. Well, I, I, I don't think that this one... Uh, I don't think WWE is going to trump the whatever deal he, he's got in the NFL. This dude's going off to play with Tom Brady again. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So there you go. Um, Before we get out of here, Way, The Last Dance. I've chatted about it. Um, Tell me some of your overall thoughts two episodes deep. Um, You know, a wonderfully fascinating look at, like, just being able to hear Michael Jordan talk. I mean, I'm not somebody who follows basketball that much, but, like, to me... um, Michael Jordan at this point has sort of become a figure that's just uh, so almost like mythical. You know, he, like I, I think of him more as a shoe brand, like more as a silhouette than an actual human being. And to hear him talk about his own history, uh, I, I thought that in itself was pretty neat. And I love the way that the series kind of bounces around between times. Mm -hmm. Um, how it would go from, you know, 97, which is the focus of the series, but back to like, you know, Jordan's early years throughout the uh, beginning of his career with the Bulls. And then even prior to that, uh, when he was in North Carolina, um, all that was really interesting. There's so much drama that I think I was, I'm personally unaware of, um, you know, in particular in episode two, we're talking about Scottie Pippen and everything to do with, uh, you know, what was going on with him and, and his, how did you feel Scottie Pippen comes, comes across in episode two? You know, it's certainly Sym- a sympathetic figure or somewhat of a villain's too strong a word, but yeah. uh, I, I think um, divisive certainly among that team. I will, I will say, I think if you're if you're a fan, you're pro- you're more than likely to side with the player. Uh, I, th- I think it's just how we are. But um, I personally understand it. Like, if I was in this situation, it would be really difficult for me to like, you know, give up everything, give up my summer. Um, and just like, you know, that line comes off so badly though. It's like, I know. I'm, not, I'm not blowing my summer on this. I'll, I'll get it done on their time. But you know, the feeling of like going to work every single day, knowing that you're getting paid far less than the people that you're working with, who you're doing a lot more than, 
um, that really eats at you. And I, 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 I at least empathize with him for something like that. Um, you know, we're talking about far different figures. And I think like, if you're talking about just the purity of sport, then yeah. Okay. He's, he's, he's definitely in the wrong. And Michael Jordan says so himself, you should always be playing to win, you know? Um, but I also like the, like the, the, the pissed off employee who's underpaid part of me, like sides with him. So I understand it. Um, you know, like he just, he signed a bad contract. Not so much like again, and this is before, NBA salaries just skyrocketed, but it was the term that's the killer. I mean, he he signed a, he it really you know granted it's it's far less money, but it, it's like an ultimate fighter contract. You come off that show and you're still on your ultimate fighter contract, and the goal is just blow through those fights as fast as you can, where you're getting paid so little, so that you can sign a more meaningful uh, contract. He signed it was like a seven year deal. And I mean, his rationale, it's like this is this is a guy that has a lot of personal responsibilities with his family and had the concern that, okay, it's it's not as much as I'm probably going to be worth in a couple of years, but it's guaranteed. And if I destroy my knee and can't play any longer, I've got this guaranteed contract like I get that thinking, but he came at a time when, I mean, his value greatly, greatly overshadowed the his on paper worth with the Bulls. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a it's a shitty, weird situation. Um, you know, what would have been the right thing to do at that point if you're management? You know, like, do you say, uh, we feel really bad. Here's a lot more money. Or do you, like, hold this guy to his contract? I mean, I don't know. I, I will also say, though, you know, certainly Jerry Krause comes across as, a, I don't know, really dislikable in this film. Um, at the same time, at least, you know, judging from the first couple episodes, I I really just feel like he he's he's just a businessman, you know? And making business decisions, even wanting to, like, flip the team... Uh, during that last season to like he did the same thing like in the 80s didn't he like it was you know i i guess in the 80s they weren't winning championships but you know i i didn't i don't really demonize him as much as maybe uh i don't know i wonder he, if much of the audience does he he certainly comes across like he he shoulders the blame for this dynasty that has to be dismantled and I think that that's that's a very easy it's a very easy story to present but I think that it's almost so heavy-handed at times coupled with these scenes where these players treat this dude like shit that it's almost impossible not to have some kind of sympathy for this guy um that to his credit as well also built this dynasty I mean, yes. they go, they go through the early Bulls years, and it's not just we draft Michael and that's our key to the kingdom. We had to build a team around Michael, and it wasn't until uh, until Jerry Krause put those supporting characters in place to play around Michael, and that takes to me, and and that again is um, to me as well. Phil Jackson, you also have to you know place a lot in there. It's one thing to be able to take all of these these incredibly talented players but managing those egos and managing those players to bring the best out of them that is a skill set unto itself as well and um 
yeah, I'm certain and certain there's a lot more Phil Jackson in this series as well because they kind of just scratched the surface with him in these first two episodes. You know, but I, I guess like on the surface, it is really unfortunate because you have like really like the best team ever, okay, to to play basketball, and the only like bad ingredient that threatens to mess up the whole thing is this is this uh, uh, GM, and I you know it to hear the players and even the coach like talk about their issues with him definitely doesn't make him look good. Um, but contrast that to today, way and let, let's make it local, okay? The, mm-hmm. That Toronto Blue Jays team, again, it's like once you have that that dynasty, and the Jays were not a dynasty, but you know what I mean, where they just had this yeah. great team, but the suddenly it's like, okay, there were a lot of bargain players that we had that exploded under our watch, and there's like three years tops you can keep those teams together because it's just in the world whether it's a hard cap or a soft salary cap it's damn near impossible to keep uh, to have a dynasty that stays together in this day and age do you think it would have been possible in this year uh, with with the bulls in 97 98 um I, I don't even i don't even know i mean like back then i don't even know all the details about why they couldn't keep the team together uh, was it just a matter of contracts expiring and them having to pay a lot more? Yeah, I, I don't know all the um, exact specifics, but it really comes across as yeah, it's just it's just it comes down to, to salaries. Like I'm right. certain, you know, if they, if they could keep everyone together, they would, but they realize what they're on the hook for. Um, and Pippen being one of them, like Pippen's deal was coming up, and that guy was going to the bank when this contract was up. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it just that that's kind of the. You know, you you get a winning team, and it's like, man, I you hope you get two seasons out of it. That's the mentality I would say today. Um, yeah, you, you know, some wonderful um, stories, really. You know that that each episode seems seems to touch on. It's not just the thing about Michael Jordan, but you know everything surrounding it. Some incredible interviews. They got Barack Obama talking about Michael Jordan. They got uh, wait, wait wait a minute. Uh, it was a Chicago resident, as he was keyed. That's right. They got Bill Clinton. Talking about Scottie Pippen, yeah, when when he was playing college basketball, that's that's amazing to me. Yeah, that was, um, and, and as well, I I, I like the way they they keyed these guys as not like I I know who these guys are. I don't need them, the U.S. former U.S. president. Um, yeah. It's like what's their connection to the subject matter? Um, mm-hmm. That's that's intriguing. Uh, and, and I've heard the uh, the director, Jason Ayer, talk about that, that it was not so much just fl- fill this up with big names. It's what is their contribution to the story, um, though. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not bending over backwards to try and figure out a way to get Barack Obama or Bill Clinton into my documentary. So uh, that that part was really cool. Um, uh, what what else in this? It's, there? It, it's like, you know, it's like um, like it's like um, somebody name dropping somebody, but like saying my friend rather than like saying my you know the person's name you know what i mean like if you knew drake you'd be like oh yeah uh my friend aubrey did this and then you're like <laughs> oh bc oh, oh you, you know clinton <laughs> yeah and it's not until you dig further that you realize oh you mean drake like it's that type of cool name drop you know yeah uh there, there's some tremendous uh supporting figures that are interviewed here um I'm captivated by Phil Jackson whenever he speaks. I always just find like a real fascination of like people in like leadership positions with these dynasties and like he's like the top of the mountain. But Michael Jordan, I mean, he can come across extremely arrogant, but man, I just 
look at this guy. Like, how can you not be captivated by if, this guy? If there's I mean, anybody I, who has earned the right to be arrogant, I would say it would be the greatest basketball player of all time. That's it. It's like, man, this guy was uh, an asshole to some of his teammates. But it's like, what are we here to do? This guy had a singular focus, winning. And it's like, do do you want to be on that team or not? Because this guy will drive you to the absolute limit and then push you further. Um, That's someone like you buckle down and realize that's who I want to be attached to. And um, uh, yeah, to me, it's very similar. Like just getting to hear this guy in a sit down setting, uh, get a couple of drinks in this guy, which it appears was uh, consistent with his sit down interview. Did you see him nursing that drink? I did not really pay attention, but. Oh, people wow. were b- bringing it up too. Like they're, they're, when they go, sometimes the drink was high, sometimes it was low. I mean, it was uh, that that drink was kind of the unofficial star of these first couple of episodes. Oh, wonderful! I look forward to the rest. How about the music way? Um, I don't know if I paid much attention to it. Oh, we had so like some Puff Daddy in there. It's like oh that, yeah, to me Puff Daddy that takes me to 97 like that is just so you tell me 1997 puff daddy and mace are pretty much the the first voices i'm hearing that scream 1997 to me yes 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 i agree with you what uh any any in particular any tracks uh you know a video you have to watch is the um bt awards bad boy reunion from 2015 okay i think i've seen it yeah, they like the the whole like like it was like uh, Diddy and like they brought he brought back basically like the whole group just to do like this like ten minute montage that's just like incredible. I remember buying the single of Mo Money Mo Problems for like six dollars at a Music World, like the single dude. Why would you do that? What what I what were the B sides? <sighs> or did I you just remember. buy the? You just like to collect singles. I I really like that that single, and I, I bought it. It was like Did six you bucks. You buy the album, dude. I didn't get the album. I just got the single. The album's great. I'll go check it out. I'll get in my time machine. Uh, though maybe I'll maybe we'll hear some of it in the uh, the ensuing episodes. There's like eight more to go. So you're all in now. You're hooked. I'm all in, man. I'm all in. I I, I wish they could release this whole thing right now, but yeah, I'll wait. All right. Well, uh, that's going to bring an end to Rewind to Dynamite. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. You can go over and check out Up Next. It should be there now for everyone to download and hear what happened at uh, NXT Land on Wednesday night with uh, Davey and Braden. So uh, Pat LeProd Thursday night, and then Wayne and I are back Friday, noon Eastern time for all patrons going live with the Cafe Hangout. Yeah. See ya. That was weird. I had no ending there. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay.